Hello and welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. We are your go-to source for all things related to culture and innovation in the manufacturing world. Make sure you check out our website, manufacturingculturepodcast.com, to catch up on past episodes. Check out what's cooking in our cultural kitchen, if you will. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. I hope you stay in the loop. I'm your host, Tim Mayer, and I'm recording today at WIMTS 2023, which is uh, an event that if you haven't been to, you don't want to miss in the future. So before we dive into today's exciting episode, let's give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Speroni. They're the masters of tool measurement and management. Thanks to their support, we can keep these conversations rolling on how to make the manufacturing workplace more awesome for everybody involved. All right, folks, fasten your seatbelts because our next guest is an absolute powerhouse in HR and data-driven decision-making. With a toolkit filled with recruitment strategies, labor efficiency hacks, and turnover reduction techniques, this guy is basically the Swiss Army knife of HR. Meet Mike White, the data dynamo. Mike comes to us with a whopping 15 plus years of experience in HR, holding a master's degree from the prestigious University of Illinois School of Labor and Employment Relations. He's held various leadership roles at industry giants like Caterpillar, Masterlock, Johns Manville, and even at Fairlife Milk. Yep, Mike's expertise is as diverse as it is deep. But that's not all. Mike founded Secchi, that's pronounced Secchi an employee engagement uh, software company that's making waves. Secchi aims to champion positive employee performance management, streamline administrative tasks, and skyrocket productivity. With Secchi, Mike is literally breaking down barriers and building bridges to a better bottom line. So gear up for a thrilling conversation on how data-driven decisions can unlock the true potential of your workforce and make your company culture sing. Let's get this party started. Mike White, welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Great intro. I'm going to uh, use a lot of that for my marketing. You got it. You got it, man. I'll, I'll copy and paste it out of my show notes and, and give it right over to you. Um, so, Mike, I you've been all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you've... Now at, at WIMTS, after our quick conversation at FabTech, right? Yeah. Um, about how the show is going to go. And I think, well, yesterday was a little shaky. Today's been a good day. A lot of great conversations. Right. Um, but I want to hear about Seki. Tell us about Seki. What is Seki? Other than what I shared in the intro, what is it? What do you guys do? What are you aiming to accomplish? Yeah. So. Seki, remember when we went on road trips before we had MapQuest and before we had cell phones and even the Garmin's? So you used to have to have somebody there that would give you the guidance and you'd have a a navigator to go on a road trip. Yep. So right now in manufacturing, most of our frontline supervisors, they need that navigator next to them. So they're the best forklift driver, best operator, best, best skill straight guy. And you say, hey, you're good, you're respected, and you could show up every day. Yep. You want to be a supervisor? And they go, does it pay more? Yeah, yeah, I'll be a supervisor. And then we put them in that role. We try to ask them to navigate the United States yep. without a map. Yep. And Absolutely. so I spent um, I've spent the last 15 years, maybe maybe year 12, I figured this out, is I've done training after training with frontline leadership. Yep. And, and I go. Those frontline leaders, they're just they're just not good. Why aren't they figuring this out? Well, I've trained them. I've trained them. And and uh I realized not people to process. Yeah. And then I went looking for tools. Cool. And I said, how do I find the right tool to give them that navigation? So what Seki does, and what I ended up not finding one had a greatness tool. What Seki does is it gives you turn by turn directions as a frontline leader. Okay. So similar to a GPS, I I I once, when I was 16 years old, ended up in uh, going west instead of east. And I was 40 minutes from home before cell phones. I had to stop 
at the exit and uh, it's like, okay. I had to stop the exit, make a phone call to home and say, I don't know where I'm at. Yeah. We, we, we give you that, where are you at? So now that even the 16 year old driver can get from one place to the other without right. any experience. So we bring up those new average supervisors to be pretty darn good supervisors. And then those great supervisors, we make their job easier. We take away all the extra paperwork and all the political BS and all the stuff you got to deal with when you're a frontline leader trying to learn that, trying to navigate that world. Yeah. And when you navigate uh, at the core of, of this concept is, I can't find a study on it, but at the core of this is, I, I just believe that great people can't stand working next to bad people. Yeah. And we in manufacturing, we in supply chain, distribution, we, we differentiate our managers, but how do you differentiate the forklift drivers? How do you differentiate the welders? Right. And we right now we do it by gut feel. Right. And so we make it very, very easy to get data, behavioral data with people and just fix that, that great employees, those bad employees. Great employees will work next to average employees, but they sure. can't work next to somebody that's not enough, that's taking long breaks. You will lose your best people if you don't take care of the bad ones. And then on the other side of that is we reinforce positive employee relations with the software. Make sure that when the recognition is given, it can be seen by the entire organization. I love it. Well, and let's be honest, man. Nobody, and I mean nobody, other than a few of us sociopaths, love, enjoy, or even like performance review processes, right? Yeah, I hate (laughs) it. I loved them. I loved getting them as an employee. I loved giving them as a manager and a leader. But that's, I, I'm the exception, not the rule. You are the exception. Um, so what I really loved about the, the demo I saw of Seki was how easy it makes that performance review process, right? Um, because you're capturing data all year long from these managers who are inputting it in, which is they're usually the biggest issue in performance reviews. Yeah. Uh, nobody remembers what happens tomorrow, right? Right. Um, Don't do anything good in the first quarter because right. nobody cares in the fourth quarter when you get that review. Exactly. And we take away that recent, we help get rid of that recency bias. Yeah. And then, shoot, writing performance reviews, I, a little story, when I was, I was 23, I out of school i got I, I learned my master's degree doesn't matter in a factory and and it shouldn't and i made this nice pretty review process i mean I, I won't say his full name but john r if you're out there i'm going to send this to you afterwards because he got me so hard so i present to the supervisors i want you to do this review process yeah. and they they immediately roasted me for about 30 a 30 minute meeting in that mike how much time is this going to take us you're asking me to sit down with 40, 45 people. You, I got to prep and fill out this form. I got to do, I got to, I got to bring them off the floor. I got to sit in my office. This is 80 hours of work and I still have to do my job in the meantime. Right. And so in reality, what happens is that the conversations don't really happen. Yeah. And um, I, I figured out a way to make it easy. If I, if I can do it at a click of a button, um, Year end, we'll have AI written performance reviews where the supervisor becomes the editor, not the creator. Yeah. And that's another big concept with Seki. Yeah. Is we create such clarity in the workforce. So you want to you want to create clarity so you know who your best people are as a leader, and you know who the worst ones are. Yeah. And that performance review process is really important. But yeah. when you give a bunch of people a blank screen, it is a giant challenge. But if I give you an AI written outline. It's not so bad. Absolutely. So you're asking these frontline leaders to then just edit what AI is taking based on the data that they've already put in. They've already put in the recognition. Hey, good job today. You stay over cleaned up. Um, I I got a a good one is, uh, and one of our customers, a guy found two missing pallets, which you know if you're a supplier out there, you can't miss Two missing pallets is unacceptable. So this guy, entry-level dude, found the pallets, yep. contacted the supervisor, got with IT himself, communicated it with all the appropriate parties. So 
did this bunch of coordinations. He's only been there a few months. Yeah. I don't know him personally, but I'm able to visually see it. So I met with the CEO, giving him an update on their progress with Seki. And he, I said, when are you going down to Fort Worth next? I said, two weeks. I go, go shake Billy's hand. That guy is a rock star. All right. And I can see he's been recognized by all the different supervisors, not just one. Got that it. favoritism issue becomes a non-issue if right. I have the right data. That's awesome. I love it. So, Mike, what what was your journey to get to this point where you, where you were able to found Seki? I mean, yeah. it's it's not everybody who said, wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to start a software company, right? So right. what led you to this point? Shoot. Um, so although I, I, uh, I played sports in high school, I'm proudly part of the Muhammad Seymour Web Club. So I learned a little bit of programming. Uh, I didn't know that was the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. And so I learned basic programming. What over my career, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in programming at all. I'm not an expert in Tableau and BI. Sure. But what what I figured out is I can communicate to the to the IT folks, and I became the bridge. I just Got like it. magically fell into this role where, hey, Pat, we wanted to get this turnover down. Well, we calculate this way, that way. It's a bunch of confusion. Yeah, and so I'm able to take the HR side of it, communicate to the um, the, the IT folks or the programmer folks because I know just enough yep. basis. And then I, I became a translator. And so by translating the analytics into HR, that works. I and then you, then you translate the process. I start to speak in manufacturing, not HR. Yep. You process map out how to do a seven tests of just cause of discipline, which only your HR works yeah. on this phone. No, it's called no. What that is, why well, put it in a process map? And, and so I became a translator of things from HR cool. to ops, things from HR to analytics and IT. That's 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 where this software company came from. And Got I, it. I I I geek down on some Tableau. I geek down on Power BI. Yeah. Uh, I regularly talk to those folks and say, in the HR world, just by knowing math. I'm in the 50th percentile with the analytics. Okay. There's a lot of HR people are really, really relational. Yep. Then you go, okay, now I know how to do a few BI dashboards, Tableau dashboards. Now I'm like, I'm like in the top 5% in the HR. Got it. But if I go to, if this were an analytics conference, I wouldn't get the edit. So (laughs) for an entry level tour, but that, that made it, that made a big difference. Sure. And then figuring out as an HR business partner, hey, HR, we have a sign up that says HR sells. And and I I say that because I I'm that guy. HR becomes such a barrier to success. And we don't want to be a barrier, but we also don't want to spend nine months going through litigation because you're firing somebody off promotion, not data. Right. And so when you hear that over and over, you're in the way, you're in the way. Um I need to get out of the way. How can I get out of the way? How can I make that happen? Yeah. And, and take as much off the frontline leadership. Make the frontline jobs as easy as possible. You'll make more money. Yeah. So what? tell us about, I mean, again, you worked at Caterpillar, Masterlock, yeah. Johns, Manville. How did you get into this industry out of out of school? I mean, so, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I'm i an elementary ed major. I was kidding. You didn't know that. You I did know not know that. This is deep. So, I was and just be- so everybody knows, I've known Mike for months at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I had no idea elementary ed was his major. So, continue. So, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm into my junior year, getting ready to student teach. Uh, I did student teach, and I love teaching. Yeah. Um, and I'm going, this is cool, but I want to make some money. And I'm in a I'm in a union shop, union teach you know union teachers, and I noticed that the lady that gives out coloring books is paid more for the same as the one who's committed all in. And I'm like, right. I need it. I can't be in that world. Sure, that, that socialism world. I, I want to get rewarded yeah. uh, for merit. And so 
I end up uh, getting a business minor. Okay. And in the in the meantime, my dad's a farmer, and okay. he says, "Hey, go go do some acres for me." And we, my brother and I, started working when we were because this was recorded when we were in legal age, <laughs> and so we could work in in corn fields and soybean fields for a very long time. Yeah. So, um, we ended up running our crew. I started with five kids, five buddies. Wow. And he said, I'll pay you by the acre, not the hour. And then uh, my brother and I, I think the most we had was 85 people working for us. And we had a bus. I had it. I paid to get people CDLs. They were older. You know, I was 16, 17 years old running this business. Wow. And when you when we broke down that business, I started at the beginning of the field. You could have on one end, we have these high school kids. On the other end, I have migrant workers that do this for a living. And so this field boss says, hey, this is the block you have. But we both know if we go faster than them, I get to start taking some of their field. Yeah. So I start industrial engineering without knowing it. And I'm, my claim to fame is I limit water breaks. Um, at first, I moved the water bottles along with them. I'm like, this helped us. But I bought hydropacks for all my workers. Yeah. And so... When you cut out breaks, because uh, for all the extra water, they have a water with them. Yeah. We started doing more acres than the migrant. I actually had to fire my dad's company because I went, I got paid more an acre by Monsanto. So I said, can you match and negotiate? So I, you know, I was taught business at a young age. Yeah. And entrepreneurship. So that was, I, we made, my brother and I made a lot of money for high school wow. kids. And That's we, awesome. We ran that business that got me doing business finer. I looked and I said, what what was I doing in that job yeah. that I liked? And I created onboarding packets without even understanding what onboarding packets were. I created training without that. All right. I created a retention program that that gave up big bonuses for kids to come back. Yeah. And um, that's all HR. That's awesome. And uh, not knowing that, then I... I Randomly ran into, I, I grew up in Central Illinois, universe of third generation Illini. My dad, my, my grandpa was the captain of the hockey team. And wow. My dad uh, walked on on the football team and then he married somebody short. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I ended up wanting to go to Illinois. That program has an uh, enormous play, uh, placement rate. It's like 95% placement awesome. with the, these BPGE, which John's Manville. Um, I chose John Vanville because it was in Denver, Colorado. Sophisticated decision tree there. Yeah. Um, from from there, John's Manville said, hey, "Where do you want to work?" I said, "Anywhere but California." They sent me to Winder, Georgia. And I met a nice lady, Melinda and Karen, my first plant manager, and they they showed me the ropes. It's awesome. Union plant. Did time the downturn hit, and uh, I got into I got into being a business partner, not a and a paper pusher. Yeah, that's awesome. So what was, I mean, of all those companies that you work for, uh, how did the, how was the culture different from company to company? Yeah, so um, it, I, I joke, like, when I talk to the customers, it's not only company to company, it's site to site. It could sure. be department to department. You can be on one end of the building and have a completely different culture and experience and go to the other end and have another culture. Sure. And so at John's Manville, we had Karen set the tone as a plan manager, and she had a great culture, feedback, uh, open, transparent. Uh, I, I, that was the school hard knocks for me. Being the, yeah. I came in at 24. I was the youngest person in the plant as the HR leader. Wow. Uh, 23, 24. And uh, I, I realized, and I moved from the north, so I was a Yankee. Uh, <laughs> Got tons of stories about being the Yankee and saying a lot of things. Yeah. But the culture to culture just changes. It has so much to do with leadership and the frontline leaders that I, after going, John Manville had several sites, I did labor relations, drop around, negotiated contracts, as well as did the positive employee relations. And what I found is the frontline leaders are the key to company. Yeah. Everything. Now, the plant manager, you can have horrible plan manager and they shield the employees in the culture yeah from those frontline employees from that plant manager you still have a great producing plant sure but you walk into a plant with four 
He can't be successful in the next few years. Going from James Harvey to Caterpillar, 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 that's awesome. And uh, then I then going to Fair Life, they were in startup getting like well, they're moving from startup A to B like full of um great leaders, yeah. frontline crew that you could just high five every day. And uh then it, then the last role was master lock and um same type of long Long company's been around a long time. Right. Uh, a lot of you keep from a manufacturing plant right. for me, and you're probably this way too. When you find a manufacturing plant where you don't like see the difference in make people settings. Yeah. And um, I was just talking here at this trade show with a guy, uh, and it's a simple person. It's a similar to welder, and they're young, young dudes. And I said, um, my buddy Matt and I we're at we're a cat. He's standing, he and I are standing on the mezzanine and we're working ridiculous. I mean, just ridiculous hours in this time. $500 million facility, something along those lines that he and I are sitting there like, Mac, can you believe we're, we do this? Yeah, he says, Mike, you don't understand. As a welder, I thought that was the best channel I was ever going to have. And now I'm charging as well. He's like, I just am just so grateful. Wow. I, I go, I. I was working in porn fields 10 years ago. I thought I was going to be a teacher. Right. And now I'm leading the HR for 1,800 people. And, and I just I just don't see in other industries the opportunity to come in as a seller, yeah. to be a facility leader in a matter of 10 to 15 years. And and I see it as just a factory on that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did, the, how did you decide to make the jump into starting second? So I, I, back to HR driving me nuts. So I drove myself so nuts Okay. by training and I created spreadsheets. I created access databases. I created, uh, um, gosh, what other tools did we use? I, I, I did all sorts of tools that just went yeah. to work. It didn't, it didn't encompass the full needs of a frontline leader okay. to make a difference and yeah. empower them to do their job. And so, uh, I, I mean, I'm running, the, the start of it was to fire people. If yeah. They, yeah, that's, that's where I started. It's this idea of like, somebody comes to my office, in HR, hey, Mike, frontline leader, put me in my, hey, Mike, this person's horrible, I want to fire them. And I'm yeah. scratching my head. My internal dialogue is, two weeks ago, you told me they were awesome. <laughs> so, okay, all right. All right, Jim, you, you want to fire somebody, that's fine. How's your documentation? Right. And they go, I, my, come on. Everybody knows Jim. And everybody knows, you know, Timmy, Timmy's a horrible employee. Right. And I go, yeah, we all know it. But when we get in front of legal and you and I are testifying, everybody know, everybody knowing it isn't going to cut it. Yeah. That's anecdotal at that point. Yeah. So, so I've had uh, 10,000 of those conversations. And I go, how can I change that? How can I stop doing the same damn thing? Well, yeah. Over and over, I've already trained. I've trained you. Like, right. The training is in the province of process. Yep. So, I started just calling all my HR buddies. Hey, do you have this problem? Yes, I I do. It's horrible. Hey, do you have this problem? Yes, I do. It's horrible. So over, over and over again, I, I called my network. They all said yes, it's a problem. Okay. And then as a director, you know, it's one of those things where I had to I had to quit. Yeah. Um, uh, in order to start. So I got enough input from people saying there's a market need and I quit and uh, met with a pro went through a bunch of programs to help me get there. And uh, with October, it's been a year this month, okay. October 2nd, we started our beta. Wow. We got out of beta uh, in February. Okay. And um, 
that my my theory proved out. You know, my, my theory proved out. I, people ask me, "How'd you how'd you do it?" And I said, "All I'm risking here is my house, my career, <laughs> and uh, my family and friends because they helped me do my first race. So right. that's all I'm risking." Yeah. And I knew it was minor details. I didn't know how big it. I I didn't understand how financially impactful it'd be for business. Right. I think I did. Yeah. Awesome. So, do you think that uh, some of those admin tasks, the 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 things that you've talked about on the HR side that you dislike, right? Right. Are those a barrier to a healthy company culture? Yes. So, think about this. I'm not a believer. Everything's incentivized. Yeah, right. I, I think probably I think it's a Warren Buffett quote about incentive. I, you show me an incentive, I'll show you the results. Somebody has a quote, and um, the incentive for a supervisor to address a bad employee yeah. is so low because put yourself in a frontline role, and many of your listeners have been a frontline leader before or are one, and you go, "I got this bad employee. Hopefully, they just quit." Or they're going out for attendance. Yeah. But to address it, I got to go to a blank screen. Yeah. And then I got to write a write-up. And then I got to take it to my manager. I got to take it to HR. I got to get everybody on board. They all got to agree with me. By the time this all happens, we're two weeks in. Yep. And then it's too late to give them the write-up. And then when I give them the write-up, they're mad at me. Right. And so I I just put myself in their shoes. And I've had a, a 10,000 conversation. Yeah. Right. How do I make this easier? How do I get rid of the paperwork? Yeah. So if we can make the frontline leaders editors, not creators, yeah. they'll do it all day. Absolutely. People want to do the right thing. Yeah. It, I, I compare it to like Napster and Apple Music, right? Yeah. You know, you and I were of the age of when Napster came out, we we're like, this is sweet. And eventually, <laughs> Apple bet people will pay for a good experience. Yeah. And they want to do the right thing. They don't want to feel like they're stealing music. Yep. So people did the right thing. It's like that with a supervisor. You make it easy enough to do coaching before they they write out. How many times have you have you seen this in your culture guy? Yeah. This is called we need to hold people accountable. And and so what does that mean? Next person without safety glasses, I'm writing them up no matter what. So inevitably, when you have that conversation, the next person to screw up with safety glasses is your sort of best thirty-year employee or the manager. <laughs> it's always somebody that you aren't writing up, regardless. I'm not going to write. And then you, you come out with this edict: we're going to hold people accountable. It means we're going to write people up. That's not accountability. I'll, I'll tell you why it's not in a second. So we have this. that conversation. Thirty-year guy walks out. I break, you know, just make a mistake. And I have, I have a, a, a supervisor. I didn't write him up, and he goes, we said we were going to do this. And I'm like, yeah. But he has a file with no write-ups in 30 years. You just disengage your absolute best in life. What an idiot. Yes. So you walk it back. I don't reject it. I just think, hey, go to him, rip it up in front of him. Just ask him not to do it. So the real way this happens is we write notes and we go, hey, you know, Bob, safe glasses. Right. First time, you don't even really care. The second time, you, you go, ah, safety glasses. This is the second time. But in our world, we're keeping track of notes. Right. And this is a problem. If, if at all. If at all. If at all. Right. And then you get to the point where you just get so resentful and frustrated yeah. that when you go to do the write-up, the guy goes, well, you didn't do that to so-and-so. Right. And what, right. what I, what, what, what we do is we create visibility to that, that issue. Okay. Uh, write down. Okay. The first time, you know, it's just like, Hey, it's the point. Yeah. You catch them when they're a step out of the break. Room. Right. They're in their station, different conversation, but now I'm going to hold you accountable. Not, not in the sense of holding you accountable, write you up, but accountability is a responsibility in the right place. So you're yeah. putting the responsibility in the right place. I joke too. It's like, uh, my wife holds me accountable, but she doesn't have a write-up. <laughs> I know what accountability looks like. I know when I disappoint somebody, and I know it's my responsibility. Yeah. So in our system, you do a little coaching, take a little note. It's there. It's easy to see. And you coach a couple times, and yeah. then you get into the paper. Okay. And then, cool. we'll, yeah. So I like that. Um, 
This episode is brought to you by Speroni. Revolutionize your shop floor with Speroni, where cutting-edge technology meets craftsmanship. Elevate precision, amplify productivity. Speroni. Experience, tradition, the future. So we talked about the different industries and how they, they varied, and, and you said that they could vary from really end of building to the other end, right? How were how different were they from industry to industry? Because you were in heavy equipment all the way to food. And yes, it, the, there's a lot of different personas in those different kinds of industries. How how variable was the culture from industry to industry? Yeah, I I immediately and and you when we had our first talk and we just introducing each other. Yeah. We talked about knowing, feeling the culture when you first walk in, right? Yep. Like, we've been in enough factories. I've been responsible for 60 plus, I think, uh, NHR. Yeah. And you just get a feeling when you walk in because you look at it. You're, you, that feeling, in my opinion, is not from uh, emote, like just pure feeling. It's because we've been in enough places. We see we're taking subconsciously in. Yeah. How's the communication? Do people say hi to me? Right. Do, uh, do I see two people interacting? How are they re interacting? How many people are home standing around leaning on a machine? Yeah. How many people are us? How many people are sweating? Uh, are they eating at their simple things like eating at their right. station is always a red flag for me. Yeah. Uh, so we're taking that in and we make a judgment yep. based off the feeling. So uh, our, our company is called Seki. So Seki, this guy, Angelo Seki, he created a way to measure the clarity of water. And you go, right. how do you do that? Well, the Secchi disc, he drops a disc in the water when you can't see it anymore. You have a line connected to that disc. Now I have a measurement from how deep I can't see. Sure. So there's a measurement there. And, then, and that's where Secchi creates measurement on the workforce. Got it. And so the difference is for me is like, I, I immediately go to communication. Yeah. Start talking to the supervisors. What's What's their, hey, who's your best person? Why are they your best person? Yeah. And you, you, if you can get a feel for that supervisor, when, when I talk to another, another good measurement is the hourly workforce. So the production work, as my full boss Joe used to say, I never worked a day in my life. But like the people that do the work better appreciate those people. So yeah. when you go up to somebody on the line and you go, hey, how are things going today? And, and they're like, it's a bad day. You know, okay, cool. What's bad about it? And they tell, and they tell you in detail, and they have a reason that it's a bad day. Yeah, I am meet, and they care. Yeah, I immediately know you're in a good culture. Yeah. Now, if it's a bad day, because every day is a bad day, and Eeyore's over here, <laughs> like that, that's that's might be a people problem. Right, but it's you go down the line, you get positive, and you, and you get people that understand the business. Yeah, that's another like, another thing that sticks out from the culture standpoint. I like it. And you asked—I probably didn't answer the difference. Different industry to industry, yeah. I will tell you. I in the food industry, uh, they have so much more automation than we do in heavy machinery. Sure, uh, and less assembly, which is really really cool. Okay, but then you have this—the the culture of their top end operators, like they're they're techs, man. They're they're engineers. A lot of them don't have engineer degrees or engineer titles. But they're there's high end folks. Yeah. Um, Say so the other, you go to a, a welders. I joke that every welder I ever interviewed, I, I hired three hundred fifty of them, and every welder I ever interviewed was the best welder they ever. Invented. <laughs> and um, and they the they like art. They're artists. So yeah. you get oh, absolutely creative, like intense competitive culture and fabrications, which. I love I love that group. They're always taunt me, and yeah. um, we used to have a coupon test. So they bring in the coupon. That Matt would bring in the coupon and throw it on my desk and say, "You're in HR, but you know this is bad. Well, right? Who are you recruiting? You know." So he would challenge me all the time. And and that's gen awesome. generally speaking, though, you go to that front line and we talk to the supervisors. That's where the culture is defined. Yeah, the messaging and the reinforcement needs to come from the leadership and it's top down, and then. Do people care about them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, just trying to think here. Um, let's talk about 
turnover and, and reduction in turnover. Oh yeah. How how do we how can a company accomplish that more strategically, right? Because I, that's a a big buzz term out there right oh, now yeah. with a lot of people talking about hey, we need to reduce our turnover, but nobody really knows how There's to do that. There's a labor that. shortage. I can't find people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'll i tell you, this is how it goes. And I, I probably shouldn't name companies, but I've done this every company I've ever worked for. As we sit around and go, the ops manager one day gets real frustrated. It, it, they get boiled over because you have too many call-offs or too random quits. In a yeah. week. And you're not projecting it out, so it's a surprise. Variability is enemy to all of us that are on this. Yep. Call. So then we have to have an emergency meeting. Yep. And they say, we need to fix turnover. One, everybody assumes it's pay, including me. Right. So that's step one. We blame pay. Then, uh, but it's it's six months, a year to get paid. And, you know, and, and if you're in a small business, small businesses don't want to do it. The big businesses, they make it so hard. You don't want to do it as yeah. So, okay. We get done with that. The reality is, most of us pay as long as you're not totally out of whack. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Then we go through the the checklist that all the oper- operations managers who do who have are data driven people. Everybody yells out their gut feeling. Yep, of what we should do. So we need a retaining program. We need a retention program that does mentorship. We need one that does. Uh, uh, I've done all the levers. You got mentorship. You got pay. You got um, 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 onboarding training we blame all these things and we try to redo yep. try to make them better than they are yep meanwhile in hr we're always working on these things really. yeah guys got it we're, we got <laughs> it so stay interviews are big oh oh the other one exit interviews exit interviews are as good as the toilet paper in that bathroom right exit interviews to me um it, unless there's a caveat there Exit interviews by the people that you're mad at because you quit are garbage. Right. I know that if you have a third party and you have them with some type of trust, they work. Yeah. But in my experience, they're already mad at me as the HR director. Absolutely. Like I'm, they don't. They're quitting for a reason. Now, yeah. I, I really don't know. And I, uh, my exit interview with Caterpillar. You know, I could say that I had no issues overall. It was a better opportunity, but really. I couldn't even explain it because it's all little things. So, yeah. so what I what I would tell you there is the stay the the stay interview process. I'm a big fan of when you're still working. Yep. And fixings, I'm a big fan of if they're done correctly. If done correctly, I mean they can just be performative though too. I mean we we've seen that. I'm sure you've seen yeah. yeah that you've seen those performative stay interviews where nothing really happens. It's literally just an exercise that some middle manager was told to do, and he yeah. got he or she does it, and then it's done, and they can move on to the next task that they were given, right? Yeah. Um, I, but, yeah, I yeah. I the, we worked with a guy, uh, uh, my, my my friend, who, uh, Chris Yoder, who I've worked with with Seki. Uh, yeah. He he worked on really hard on the stay interviews, and you got you got to have action out of them. Yeah. And um, gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, we're going to stay interviewed. He, Dick Finnegan. Dick Finnegan did an excellent job in that. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of those to done right. Yeah. These are all big efforts. Yeah. And so, uh, really, when it, when it comes down to the turnover and have a thesis, if you're a PhD in, in HR organization development, write this out, write this down. Good, back to the good people can't stand bad folks. Mm-hmm. Is, I, I can't stand working next to people that don't work. Yeah. So I'm in HR. Why is that any different right. when we're on the line? Right. And so the, the worst enemy in turnover is your worst employee who's bringing everybody down. Absolutely. And uh, like this kind of throwing in some stories of yeah, people that I've, I've lost. It's maintenance. Maintenance has always been yeah. harder than ever now. And you you hire on folks and you hear from your maintenance crew, this guy can't do the job, this guy can't do the job, this guy can't do the job. If you're not making some action, either up or out, you're going to lose your best factory. Yep. This factory I have, we heard this, we heard this, and then we lose our best our best mechanic. When you lose a best mechanic, that's tough. You are in so much trouble. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that running around the table with the HR, with the ops folks, and they come up with ideas and they're not using data. That's yeah. a problem. So, how do you, uh, how do you overcome being in manufacturing, right? It's a traditional industry. How do you overcome that resistance to using data to develop strategic and strategies? So, my, the first thing that we have as a challenge is we're another program, right? Oh my gosh, another program. And, and then I'm having these conversations every day. Why do I have to write them down? Yeah. So, uh, I hear that a lot. And we already have an HRIS program. That HRIS program you have is built for compliance to keep the government from suing it. Right. That's what that's built for. Right. It's not built for your frontline leader. Yep. And then, and then the other program is everything has a program in place. So that piece of paper that saved on a shared drive can pull it down. That's a, that's a system. That's a program. Yeah. That your supervisors never use, or the pieces of paper that they hand, right? That's a program. So we we automate that. And if you can put it on your phone, like we have, and if you can, um, if you can reinforce positive behaviors, it just it just makes things easier. So, yeah. give me an example. I as an executive in the trans, the data transparency, I get I get most. I built the program to fire people. We ended up recognizing people. So. This factory I work with, they have this guy. Um, uh, they, they 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 have all these warnings, like templates. Like, but the, what the supervisors like is there's a text message aspect. Okay. And so when you get home, when when their employees get, they can show it to their family. And we have a we have a customer that they send out a happy birthday message to this guy saying thank you, happy birthday, but not just happy birthday. Thanks for being part of the team. Yeah. It translates to Spanish. Oh, that's awesome. The guy's the guy speaks English, but he's English second language. Right. So he the the, the manager is a smart manager. He plans for this to hit him up to hit him up. Oh wow. So he gets his text message on his birthday while he's driving home. He gets to share that message to his uh family. That's cool. In Spanish. They won't make long message. Right. So he comes into work next day and says, oh, and that so now that guy will forever be loyal to that manager. Right. And so one guy, one guy or gal at a time, the next, the next, the next yep. one. And you get rid of those two or three that are bugging you. And everybody listening has those two or three in their head. Absolutely. Because what's great about manufacturing is you've got those two or three. As soon as they go, somebody else wants to work their self right back into that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think in, in the, I've done all the programs. I've done, I mean, all the, you know, the state has used all the programs yeah. in here. That's what you do too. Right. It's a lot of effort and there's yeah. not a perfect answer. You have to analyze your own facilities. Right. Every facility is different. Analyze the weaknesses of the team. What's fucking up? Yeah. So, so how, how, sorry, I, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. Uh, you. I'm talking too much. But I, I had a, I had a unionization attempt. Okay. Uh, and, and so this is when you want to change, you want to change a culture fast. Yeah. Uh, that's a unionization. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, at that union, it was, it was early in the job. I didn't yeah. have the relationships, which I typically oh. don't. And uh, the first thing, very first thing we do is just listen. Yeah. Listen, listen, listen. And I, I sat third shift, first, second, third shift. I basically said, what's up? And my guy asked, what's up? Uh, and there was a trend in the names of the people that were what's up. Yep. Now, you know, in those unionization trips, a lot of it has to do with leadership. Yep. So even if the guys were good, good like relatively good people, I, I honestly thought they were very skilled and good people, but they lost, they had lost their leadership title in the eyes of the NBA. So Got it. You, you hear that. And then you hear about policies that just don't make any damn sense. Yeah. And you go, Oh, well, why do we have this policy? It's the way it's, you know, you, you hear it from different shifts, different departments. I'm taking notes. I go, that's, that's something I got to fix today. Yeah. So we fix that. Uh, we, we, I then have to go through the proper channels to fix the policy. So, and then you hear, you hear about just 
things that are wrong in the facilities. Sure. And uh, I, I, I did another shameless plug. I'm not getting paid for this, but I, I, I really buy into the approach of a leadership model by a Labor Relations Institute of just asking people, okay. you know, what, what can I do to make work? There's a lot to it, but the question that sits out is, what can I do to make work better? Yeah. So I sat down with those people, you know, what's up? What can I do to make work better? Yeah. I like it. You start making those little those little things. Yeah. I I feel like I know I've changed a lot of facilities. Yeah. Sitting down, listening, doing those, changing the procedures, make it be like that. It's awesome. How does Seki uh help affect a positive employee engagement strategy? So as you lay out the strategy, I'm uh I'm a big fan of planning and not surprising people. Yeah. So with SECI, the way that you the way that you get ahead of these issues is at the end of the year you're never going to survive planning. Yeah. Because it's data driven. Okay. So if I take a little note, you and I have a coaching conversation, I have a check in, just all I'm asking is not take your note your notebook that no one else can see. Just put on sec. Yeah. It's it's two seconds on your phone. I like it. And you know, check in every we have a we have a, uh, a system that keeps the frontline leaders accountable. So we measure engagement based off how many people on their team they've connected with in the last thirty days. Oh, cool! So I'm a I, I believe in surveys. I like surveys for engagement scores. Yeah. It's a good way to measure the what's going on, but it only happens a couple times a year. Yeah, you need that data. But I, we're measuring engagement based off the leadership activity. Right? Are they connecting with everyone? Because I first time to send text messages out. Said thank you for perfect attendance in September. This guy comes off the floor on break and he goes, "You guys know I haven't missed a day in five months, and I I can't tell you how much I appreciate this." That's cool. Yeah, because he's a guy, and I'm like, I told the supervisor, I'm like, he hasn't missed a day in five months. We should pick him up and carry him to his car. Yeah, absolutely. Like, hourly performance management's not that difficult. Yeah, conceptual. Right. Did you show up on time? Did you do something great? Did you do something wrong? Right. And conceptually, that's easy. Right. And hourly, the discipline side is easy. Three strikes and you're out. <laughs> One, two, three, boom. It's the same. It's almost the same everywhere. Yeah. For China, it's almost the same. And yeah. Uh, uh, why, why does it have to be hard for a leader to do that? Right. Right. You know? So, uh, so what role? I mean, you use AI as part of Seki, right? Yeah. How do you see AI taking a larger role in manufacturing, and how can it impact the culture of the industry? Right. So the data is the oil okay. of today, right? Like we're gonna, we have a unique data set. Yeah. You're coaching and recognizing people right now. Our our um, our AI is in development and. Um, We'll, we'll be in beta fairly soon. The, the ability to do the administrative tasks is yeah. And I've, I I we all know those administrative tasks no more. Just sitting and looking at data sets, right? Like even even before this podcast, I'm, right. like, I'm going into AI and I'm asking, hey, what do you think about doing an interview on podcast? And it gives me the pros and cons. Don't mess up. Don't say something stupid. Um, that is going to be so helpful. And so AI is the machine learning aspect of it. Yeah. Machine learning um, for us in the HR world, that is so much administrative work. That smaller companies just pay somebody to yeah. that they can switch them from pushing paper to, you know, the social media. I can put out social media posts. The yeah. HR coordinator now could do attendance write ups. HR coordinator, not not a hundred and thirty thousand dollar H exceed right HR manager. Right? right. So I, I see a, a way to efficiency really fast. And cool. even um for the front I, I really focused on that front line. Yeah. The front line's ability to ask questions and of of which they don't ask because extra work comes of it. Yeah. Hey, what if we did this? Do you think there's a company that could you know, they had sent him. Do you think there's a company that could do X, Y, and Z? So you see a frontline leader that they're they're seeing a problem every day on this machine. 
Yep. Right. To be able to ask and get direction on how to fix that machine, it's going to be immensely impractical. And yeah. I think it means jobs for the U.S. Really. Oh. So a lot of that outsource work is the less skilled. Yeah. And if we get AI to do it, it's going to be biggest bet. Yeah. I get it. Uh, one, I actually, I guess I interviewed at WIMTS. Um, we talked about AI, and and his take is AI will probably take more administrative jobs than floor jobs. Yes. Uh, just because of the nature of uh, the industry. What do you think of that concept? I, I, I think they're the labor market and what we've done as a society in the U S with, with um, shop classes. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to keep meeting those jobs and it's going to be just, we're in a, we're in a factory full of automation, right? All that automation replaced picking up a widget and moving it. Right. But there's going to be three or four guys that have to figure out how to program it. Sure. And the tech, so that, that second level tech is going to be an awesome industry to get into. Yeah. You work a lot with the high, you're promoting a lot of high school stuff. Yeah. Um, I, in the, at, at this plant startup in Georgia with Caterpillar, uh, we, we worked with the schools a bunch. They, the, the, the Georgia model of career academies. Yeah. So they're saying, hey, you don't want to travel around. You want to get paid well. Uh, learn to be a tech. And yeah. So they've got mechatronics in oh, high school. Yeah. Welding in high school. That's awesome. All those cool, cool things that are going to hook up the chips. I think it's going to be a net benefit for uh, our, our country. Yeah. Manufacturing in general. Yeah. Um, that Take away that work. And it, and I know people are scared of losing jobs. That, that's just scary. I'm in HR. Shoot, it's a, a, I just told you it's a lot of administrative. Um, the thing about it is the work isn't going to go away. People yeah. still need things. We're just going to be better at it, and we're going to figure out new skills to to, to use it, in my opinion. Yeah. Awesome. So, Mike, what are uh, three things that you implemented in, in your past that affected the culture in, in your facilities? Or what are three things that shop owners, facility leaders can implement to change their culture? Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm a, can I switch it and say, I'm going to say this is culture impactful, but it's the thing I'm most proud of. Sure. So I, I'm, I'm in Athens, Georgia, where we're having a, uh, we're meeting with schools. I, we're trying to recruit. It's only 110,000 people in the town at the time, and we got to recruit 14. We we thought it was going to take 1,400. We got as big as 1,800, right? Okay. So that's like one percent of the town. Like, yeah. How the heck are we going to recruit these folks? <laughs> so I'm going. I'm out. I'm doing PR, trying to recruit everybody and anybody that yeah. wants to put their hands on the machine. And uh, we met with the school system, and we we created uh, um, alongside. The superintendent, um, Bill, Bill uh, Lamont, um, Bill Milanew, sorry. Uh, we, we created a system where at-risk kids came into our facility. Okay. And those at-risk kids got jobs for $10 an hour. Yep. Which they're, they, they, these folks, they're third-generation no work. Like that. They're people that they don't even know what a paycheck is, right? Yeah. And... What that did for the culture, one is we're changing the community. Yeah. We're changing the, the place around us. We're making a bigger impact than ourselves. Just like, to see the kid that bought his parents' minivan after working for two months, like, That's I'm awesome. almost in tears talking. Like, this, yeah. this is generational change yeah. like, to show that to people. And we ended up, I, I, I used to call and check in to see how many had gone through the program. We started with five. But what it did to the culture is those five at-risk kids, you have people on the line that sometimes their job doesn't seem meaningful because we're making equipment that moves their site. But it was really meaningful in the way that the people on the line but adopted the, you know, work adopted these kids. Yeah. And then all of a sudden their job means more because I'm helping this kid that has made a bunch of not great choices. Yep. And now he's making great choices. That's and awesome. uh, one of the kids ended up going to Georgia Tech from it. Wow. And uh, I mean, there's like success stories after success story. That's cool. 
That, that's my number one. And, like and that it. changes the culture. Yeah. The the other thing is I, I really I really buy into this. Is oh we need to change our culture, so we're gonna have a birthday parties. It's like, dude, come on, man. Pizza parties. It's relationships. So <laughs> I I uh I have a little trick here, and the trick is we when we interact at work, we only see fifty uh, percent of something. That's sure. Eight hours, maybe fifty percent, maybe a little more. I'm not me. Like I'm as much as HR me as I can be, but I'm not me. Right. And because any anyone that I went to college with knows that all my buddies, they they're like you're an HR and like that. So I'm not truly me, but if you create those environments, I think this is a huge culture builder. Volunteer projects together. Sure. So you're doing work, you're making a difference. And I get to and, and we bring family. Yeah. So all of a sudden the people that hate me because it's something I communicated incorrectly that I don't even know. Right. But oh they see me, I'm a dad. Yeah. I, wait, how's that guy have kids? He's, he's a dad. <laughs> you know, and they see me as a dad, they see me as a husband, right? They see me as a volunteer. And now all of a sudden that paradigm. Yeah. So that was another one. Um, I'll, I'll end with the last, like, kind of, like, the real hammer is um, you get the right, you, the right values and mission, and that believes that believe people that believe in it. Yeah, that's that's starting point, and then people who care. Yeah, you know, no co- company has this as a competency, but. Uh, we call it the cool and careless competency. Are they, are they pretty cool to talk to? Like, yeah. do, do we have a conversation? And do we care? Do they care? Are they going to be upset that they're late? When, are they going to be upset they're late because they let you down? Right. And if they're not not upset that they're late, you know, oh, you know, excuse, excuse, but they let you down. They don't want to let people down because they care about those around them. Yeah. That is the the competency I have. I care about them. I like it. Yeah. I like it. What didn't I ask you, Mike, that you want to share? I, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't get it. Did I, I, I'll, I'll, I guess the last thing is I love manufacturing. I love operations. Yeah. And, you know, the reason we're talking, we, we, we had this introduction conversation, this bond over we're creating something in manufacturing. Like, yeah. I don't understand why we get the bad rap. Yeah. What other job? Walk in entry level and be the boss. And right. I just, there's not, there's not the, the plant managers that I've worked with, the ops managers I've worked with. I can't tell you how many of them have came from nothing. Yeah. Nothing. They have, they have this story of just perseverance, you know, just pure, you know, climbing the mountain to be a plant manager, to be that ops manager. Yeah. I, and they'll tell you a story that they got D's. <laughs> they, they got D's in high school and they're, I, I shouldn't say the company, but one of my good friends, he was like barely got through high school. He runs, uh, I, I want to say, it was over a billion dollar business. <laughs> and, and if people knew that, because work matters. And if yeah. we focus on the work as our meaning, we focus on the work, not our differences. It makes a huge, it makes a huge, huge impact on the world. I love it, man. Thank you very much for being on, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, what an incredible journey we've taken today, folks. We've dove into the world of data-driven HR, cultural transformations, and so much more with the one and only Mike White. From understanding the evolution of company culture to unlocking the secrets of reducing turnover and increasing productivity, this episode was a goldmine of insights. Trust me, your company's culture will thank you for tuning in today. Before we sign off, a massive thank you to our fabulous sponsor, Speroni. Without their support, conversations like this wouldn't be possible, especially not in a remote location. So if you're looking for top-notch tool measurement management solutions, you know where to go. Don't forget to visit us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com to catch up on past episodes and see what else we have up our sleeves. We've got some new stuff coming. We've got the video now. Uh, We've got the blog up. Uh, we've got t-shirts, uh, like we've got gear. Uh, there's a banner behind Mike for crying out loud this is wild stuff, man. Uh, never had thought that this was going to happen this way. Uh, we've got some game changing guests lined up coming up in the future. We're going 
to go to manufacturing facilities. We're going to provide you guys with tours of shops, interviews with employees on the shop floor, in addition to the regular interviews that we've been doing. So you'll be able to find us on YouTube, on our website. We're going to be everywhere. Um, so make sure you stay connected. Keep watching uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram for updates. And if you love today's episode as much as I did, do me a favor. Share it with your friends, colleagues, and anybody you know who's passionate about making the manufacturing industry an even better place to work. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Your feedback fuels my fire and keeps me bringing more of the content that you love. Until next time, keep championing that culture. Let's keep the conversation going because the future of manufacturing is bright and it starts with you. Have a great day, everybody, and keep making things. Thank, Thank you. you.